The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for May 7th, 2021. It's your old pal, Justin Robert Young. Great episode for you here today. I want to talk a little bit about this Liz Cheney drama. We talked a little bit about it on Wednesday, but there have been significant developments that have happened since then. And I, I I want to really address the major narrative behind it because I'm going to reveal something to you guys that you might not have noticed, but your brain did. We also got a mailbag that uh, addresses some very serious issues, including just an anarchist take on voting that I love. So much. It is so after my own heart. It's the kind of idea that'll get you punched at a dinner party. And those are my favorite. Please stay for the mailbag so you can hear about the dawn of, and I want to get this name right, the dawn of the dedicated undecided voter. I can already hear you guys rolling your eyes so hard, so hard. Also, Bill Scher joins us again from Washington Monthly. He's going to tell us a little bit about gerrymandering. Oh, the rending of garments. The wailing and gnashing of teeth around gerrymandering is something that is omnipresent. Omnipresent in our political environment. But exactly how seriously should we take it after the news of the most recent reapportionment? Bill lays it out. As we get going here today, an update on the deadbeat dad summer. Not all of them are going to be as splashy as legalizing weed and gambling, uh, but Mayor Andrew, Mayor, Governor Andrew Cuomo has signed legislation restoring voting rights to felons upon release from prison. So a few more people that'll look toward Albany and say, hey, thanks, Dad. Who knows exactly when he is going to have to face his reckoning, uh, uh, Cuomo, that is, when uh, the attorney general comes out with her report about his uh, sexual assault. Meanwhile, the New York Times buried his administration again about the nursing home scandal. But that one, for whatever reason, has a harder time sticking than the sexual assault stuff. I don't know. Armin Rosen, who's been on this show before talking about his Matt Drudge story, he put out on Twitter uh, that everybody should mentally start preparing themselves for Cuomo winning another term. And I gotta say, I were betting. I don't think that he's wrong. 
Bird First. In Washington, number three House Republican Liz Cheney is blasting her colleagues who say it's time to replace her. For the first time yesterday, the House GOP whip called for Cheney to be demoted for publicly opposing former President Trump. Nancy Cordes is at the White House. Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney. Chicka, chicka, chicka. Liz Cheney. She's getting the boot. She's out. She's done. Fanato. This after she, uh, you know, continually co- uh, criticized former President Trump, uh, saying that not only was he so culpable for the January 6th riots that she voted to impeach him, but also criticizing the fact that he continues to be out there on whatever platforms that he is allowed on to perpetuate the fact that he says he did not lose the election. Or at least that's why you would believe she was kicked out if all you did was listen to the news. If all you did was listen to Democratic talking points, that's why she's leaving. But I don't think that's why she's leaving. I don't think that Liz Cheney is leaving because she has an opinion on Donald Trump that is contrary to other members of the party because Kevin McCarthy has to walk a line with Donald Trump and he is more sympathetic to him than some. But it was Kevin McCarthy, the GOP minority leader, who stuck up, stuck up for Liz Cheney after the impeachment vote. Indeed, during a closed-door meeting where the, the MAGA faithful looked to come after Liz initially, it was Kevin McCarthy who not only gave an impassioned pitch for her, but also then held the vote to oust her out of leadership on secret ballot and not public vote, therefore ensuring she would have a better chance to keep her spot, which, by the way, She did. No, the breakup between Kevin and Liz happened where many alliances are doomed to fail on vacation in Florida, specifically the GOP retreat in Orlando. Before departing, Cheney continued a trend for her, and that is talking about Trump when she doesn't need to. This normally happens when congressional reporters ask her about Trump because they know she hates her and they know that Donald Trump continues to give them ammunition by way of his email list and new blog, apparently. Congratulations to Donald Trump for inventing the blog. Cheney was asked whether or not Donald Trump was invited to the Orlando retreat, to which she snarkily said she had not invited him. She then continued to give comment on Trump while at the GOP retreat, which rankled McCarthy, who then returned with an attitude toward Cheney that he had yet to publicly display. And Punchbowl, one of the new news outlets there in D.C., reported in their newsletter 
that this was at the behest of GOP donors. So let's read the McCarthy quotes real quick. There's a responsibility if you're going to be in leadership that leaders eat last, McCarthy told Politico. And when leaders try to go out and not work as one team, it creates difficulties. He went on. McCarthy told a room of reporters, if you're sitting here on a retreat that's focused on policy, focused on the future of making America's next century, and you're talking about something else, you're not being productive. Well, as of when I'm recording this, CNN says that Cheney will be ousted next week. They have the votes to do it. It's already fait accompli. And while, again, we're always going to come back to the idea that she had the wrong opinion and that's why she lost, I, I think that it really is more about 22 and beyond. It's about keeping a cohesive party. Because if you're the Republicans and you look at this landscape, it's very favorable to you. Joe Biden's got big bills that he wants to go forward on. And either they are going to get rammed through with, 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 with reconciliation, at which point all of Republicans can rally all Republican voters and say, oh, my God, look what they did while no Republicans had any say. Or they're going to get watered down so much that the progressives are going to be upset either way. The Republicans are going to have a stronger hand. This matches with the way things normally go after a new president comes in. Their party tends to get hammered and the margins are non-existent in the Senate and very thin in the House. The likelihood that the Republicans will be back in charge by, you know, uh, Christmas time 2022 is high. So how does that not happen? How would you snatch defeat from the jaws of victory? The way that you do it is by not having a cohesive side for your team. And it's fine if Cheney is a backbencher who's looking to make a name for herself, but she's a very famous name with a very influential position. Her job inside the GOP caucus is to coordinate messaging. How can you coordinate messaging if you are causing? division for which you would have to have messaging for. So in a lot of ways, I don't blame McCarthy, nor do I necessarily blame the donors. But then there's another thing. Well, Liz Cheney's up for re-election in 2022. I've mentioned the donors twice already, and here's why. Let's say you're one of those donors and you are very Trump sympathetic, or at least looking around, you begin thinking like, well, there's not really a lot of electoral upside to never Trump. Populism's the way to go. MAGA equals votes. So maybe I'm going to back somebody to take Liz Cheney out. Either way, you can't imagine that she's going to have as safe of a race as she would have had without this kind of controversy. 
And if Liz Cheney isn't even going to be around to enjoy a Republican majority in the House, then that means she's out of the only power that matters in D.C. If I've said it once here, I've said it a million times. A lot of this is very easily explained, not by reading into whatever issue of the day, but rather this simple axiom. All power is future power. And if Liz doesn't look like she has any future power, well, then she's got no power at all. And that's why, as of next week, she's going to have no position in Republican leadership. They asked me, did I go deep in my bag? And I tell them, I showed it. You can email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Again, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Nikki writes, I feel like you're missing an opportunity by not selling COVID shots equals body shots, crop tops. After all, it is a hot girl, hot boy summer. Oh, sorry. Let me, let me, let me get this right. After all, it is a hot girl, boy, they summer. True. Uh, Nikki, unfortunately, I am bound by what T Public offers me on my site, politicsmerch.com. Now, I don't know whether or not my, my wife actually, I told her about this email. She said that she would also like a crop top. So maybe we'll do a tutorial on how to turn your uh, uh, your, your, your T-shirt slash tank top into a crop top. Maybe we'll do a little uh, 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 home arts and crafts thing. But right now, if T-Public offered me a, a, an ability to order a, a crop top, not only would I have it on there, but I would be wearing it myself. Stevie Richards style. Joey writes, I don't think that the vaccine wall will be as bad as people think. My mom has a small business cleaning vacation rentals. Early in the pandemic, she was on the whole Bill Gates putting microchips in the vaccines train. But after I got it, and some of her clients said they wouldn't be comfortable with her coming back until she got the vaccine... She signed up for an appointment. So once unsure people get their first-hand assurances and or economic reason, they'll hopefully go and get it. Joey, I think it's up to, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's up to people's personal perspectives. Uh, we are seeing a vaccine wall. So I do think that it is a thing. We shouldn't ignore it. But... I do agree that we're 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 going to get to where we need to go. I mean, hell, Joe Biden came out and said that what he wants is he is projecting 70 percent vaccination in America by January or sorry, July 4th by Independence Day. Considering how not aggressive his goals have been. He has tended to with COVID uh, uh, under promise and over deliver, sometimes laughably so. That gives me hope that internally 
they are seeing, and, and here's what I think is happening is uh, as they approve these shots for 12 to 16 year olds, uh, there's going to be another big spike in vaccinations. And at that point, we wind up getting to some of these numbers that even if herd immunity is somewhere around 80% based on current projections, based on the bespectacled boffins, 70% will have a material effect. I mean, look, 45% apparently has a material effect. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Adam writes, I never do hot takes on social media and rarely in person. For some reason, I felt the need to send a spicy email after I watched the Biden address as well as the Tim Scott rebuttal and realized I forgot to take the best advice I ever heard. For content, two days uh, two days after I got married, we saw Craig Ferguson in Vegas. And a bit that always stuck with me was how hard communication used to be before the industrial revolution was versus now. The basic premise was, does this need to be said? Does this need to be said right now? And does this need to be said by me? Basically, printing and distribution costs money. So you better mean it. Words to live by. And to double check your investment before buying into a cause. That is a very fascinating, interesting perspective. Craig Ferguson, man. Maybe he's somebody I should I should track down, especially over these next uh, couple months. Like, I I feel like it's time to to to, to spread our wings. I I just need to start making it a habit of like every week, just cold email a hero that I would love to have on. And Craig Ferguson's always had such a brilliant mind. What a what an amazing show that that was gone too soon. Craig Ferguson show like doing a late night show is really really frustrating and and is a lifestyle and not a job. But man, what a, what a, what a smart guy. Martin writes, and look, this one's hard. All right, guys. All right. Before I even read this, let, let me, let me give you guys some backstory. There are takes that I have had that I had to realize I couldn't yell too loud, not because they were offensive, but because they didn't appropriately honor the conversation that was happening in front of me. And therefore, they were just hated by everybody, and I was just the a-hole to anybody from any perspective on that uh, issue. Here's my classical example. Bush administration. I'm in college. The question is about gay marriage or civil unions. And at this point, the Bush administration is offering civil unions that have the exact same legal framework between how the government would recognize a marriage. Same tax breaks, same everything. To which I said, that's great. That's great. I want that to exist, mostly because when I get married, I want to get a civil union and not a marriage. I want to get a heterosexual civil union. I think that civil unions are a better idea. I think that civil unions uh, uh, should be the way 
that governments recognize a, a union between people. If they're going to incentivize anything, it shouldn't have the name marriage on it. That, to me, seems like a bizarre a footsie under the table between church and state. I don't like it. Go forth, gay brothers and sisters. Uh, uh, please blaze this trail for civil unions so I might follow behind you. And everybody hated me. <laughs> because at that time, the idea was, no, this will be separate but equal. Gay marriage should be the same as heterosexual marriage. It should be called the same thing. Blah, 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 blah. And I had to realize that whether or not my point was correct or coherent, that sometimes what you have to do to have people not hate you is just, you know, honor the dichotomy, if even just to talk around it. And it is with that that I read you this email from Martin, for whom I don't know, understands that you need to honor the dichotomy. And so I love him for it. We read, this is the idea, individual strategic voting or the dedicated undecided voter goes like this. Say you're looking at a particular election and you don't like anyone running. You aren't content with the lesser of two evils, but you don't want to resign your vote, which is currently the only currency in a democracy. Facing the circumstance, you would turn into a single-issue voter. That issue? Maximizing the value of your individual vote. One way to maximize your vote is just vote to keep the race competitive by voting for whoever is behind in the polls on election day. Low margins of victory means whoever won could have lost if they slacked off, and whoever lost could have won if they tried harder. I know this is right because gerrymandering is meant to counter exactly this, making winning margins large and unpredictable. Sorry, large and predictable. Voters being unpredictable or able to be swayed allows them to reclaim their rightful position as the power brokers of every election. Perhaps I'm being naive, but there must be some way that voters can assert their position in the electoral process that doesn't just end up carrying water for a certain party. Voters should have a better way of putting their foot down to remind those in power who works for who. God. Can you imagine the fights that would erupt in the waning days of a heated senatorial gubernatorial or presidential race where you had people that were really ginned up and they were like, well, obviously you're not voting for blank. And you'd say, of course I am. Why? Do you agree with anything that they say? No, I am a dedicated, undecided voter. And I have therefore decided that based on these polling averages, I'm voting to keep the race close. Oh! Martin, Martin, you devious son of a bitch. What a beautiful idea. What an amazing concept. Oh my God. So good. So good. If you have an idea as brilliant as Martin's, please write into me. The young American at gmail.com.
There are many ways that you can support this show, and, and we read them off at the end of the program. The, the biggest, most sustainable way is to go to uh, takepoliticsseriously.com. Uh, that is where our membership program is, powered by Patreon. At the $3 level, you get two bonus podcasts each and every week. It is my great privilege to, to give back to people who find value in this show, who believe that the ideas and analysis that exist on this show are worthwhile and hope that not only does it keep going, it expands and continues to bring you the, the kind of content that, that I have dedicated my days and nights to. However, there's another thing, and periodically I got little missions. This is free. But we're at an interesting period in the political calendar. There really is not going to be a major political event until this fall with the California recall, and even that is a gift from the heavens that is, is giving us some rain in an otherwise arid content desert. But that means that all political podcasts are kind of looking for things. It's also the time where we can network most effectively. Something that I would like to put out to you guys is if you are listening to other political podcasts that you believe I would be a good guest on, well, send an email to those podcasts and say, hey, I think you should have Justin Robert Young of Politics, Politics, Politics on. These are the ways that these relationships are made. And I think that they most effectively come organically from a shared listenership. So if you take the time out of your day this week to identify a shared political podcast that you believe I would be good on, or even a podcast that just obliquely talks about politics that you think I would be a good voice on, and you send them an email, it would warm the cockles of my heart. And by the way, this stuff works. It's the way that we connected with Jen Briney. It's the way that we connected uh, with Jody Avergan. So it would, it would, it would make me very, very happy if you guys took the time to find a, a another podcast that you like, that you think I'd be good on, uh, uh, to get me on there. And by the way, this is, is pushing toward our larger cultural goal. And that is to spread the good word of our philosophy. That we are not biased toward left or right. We are only biased toward being correct. Far and wide. Thank you guys so much. You are the reason, in so many ways, that any of this continues to happen. Gerrymandering. You've heard it discussed in hushed tones. Pundits and politicians alike spit on the ground when it comes off their lips. The idea 
that state partisans draw their congressional districts in ways that their opponents can't win? Yuck! This happens every 10 years and is about to happen again. Will it bring about lopsided government into the 2030s? Or is it an overblown scare tactic designed to arouse anger? To discuss this, we welcome back Bill Scher, a writer for Washington Monthly. Welcome back to the show, Bill. Great to be back with you. All right. Uh, uh, Reapportionment was a word that many people learned existed last week, and uh, they are now going to learn more. uh, The once every 10 years panic over gerrymandering, which is something that that stays with us for for much longer, but I think is is obviously a big a big issue now over the next year. You wrote a great piece here for Washington Monthly about how maybe we shouldn't panic over it, or at least maybe it's overstated compared to how it actually affects elections. Can you explain that? Sure. Explain I mean, yourself. I mean, there's 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 moral <laughs> panic to be had here, Bill. I mean, it's fine to hate gerrymandering on the merits, you know, you, to argue politicians shouldn't get to draw their lines. I mean, I get that case, uh, but it's it's been stretched to say that Democrats hold such a disadvantage in the gerrymandering game that's broken our democracy and it's warped the ability for the public will to be exercised through the ballot box. And coming on the, in, in anticipation of the census reapportionment, you know, after we, we do our census, we see where the politician has shifted, that changes where, how many congressional seats each state gets, also electoral votes for that matter. Uh, and a lot of folks assumed that the shift away from the Northeast into the South and the West was going to exacerbate the uh, Democratic disadvantage and that Republicans could take the House just on gerrymandering alone. And look, things are so narrow in the House that, you know, a few seats here or there can be the difference. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, some of our finer political nerds, uh, Dave Wasserman, a political report, Sean Trendy at Real Clear Politics, uh, they crunch those numbers and say, look, the uh, probably... Republicans can pick up three or four seats at gerrymandering. Wasserman gave him an upper bound of eight, but possibly as low as zero. Yeah. Uh, And that's because, one, the shifts in population weren't as dramatic as people assumed. Uh, You know, some people thought Texas might get three seats and only got two, which is just one example there. you know, Oregon got one and West Virginia lost one. Yeah, I think uh, Arizona was expecting to gain one and they wound right. up staying staying even. Right. But also on top of that, just because, you know, a blue state gets one or a red state loses one, vice versa, like that doesn't automatically tell you how it's all going to shake out. You know, New York loses one, but Democrats have ultimate control over the map. So when they redraw the lines, they could take it out of the Republican side, not their own. And yeah. Oregon Oregon gets one, but they, they're already pretty maxed out on Democratic seats there. Plus they, the local state legislatures cut a deal with the Republicans to do even even um, representation on their on their commission. Uh, so Republicans might pick up a seat in blue Oregon. Montana gets one. They have an independent commission, which has a tie breaking seat that in 
which can be in, 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 as the current case is, appointed by the court. The court picked a, a tribal lawyer that Republicans think is in the tank for the Democrats. I mean, she may not be, but that's what they yeah. think. Uh, and you got a lot of Democrats in the western part of the states. So you, you can draw two Montana districts where Democrats are at least competitive in that second district. So you, you, you put that all together. I mean, you know, Republicans will probably you know, pick up some in Texas because they run the, 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 uh, the show there. Uh, you, you're not necessarily going to get, you know, 10 to 15. Uh, and while Republicans could stretch and try to go for that eight, there's risk in doing so. It's, gerrymandering is not this perfect process where it's all upside and no downside for the party in charge. If you spread your vote thinly, to try to maximize your seats in the short run, you leave more of your members vulnerable to a wave a few years down the line, which is what we saw happen in the past decade. So let's do that, because I think what a lot of people do when they think about gerrymandering is they they understand that whatever and this is mostly a Democratic issue that. Uh, uh, the reason why we are are at this tremendous disadvantage is because of of gerrymandering, which, number one, I always point, well, OK, you should probably be better at winning state houses and state legislatures then, because <laughs> like it's not like Republicans get the birthright of walking in there. They seem to be better at winning some of these, at least in these states that are, are gaining uh, population. But from that last reapportionment in the tens leading up through this. We didn't really see a lot of aggressive gerrymandering pay off quite the way that many of the people who drew those maps early in the decade thought, right? I mean, look at the last decade. The Tea Party year was 2010. That's when Republicans netted 63 seats and took over the House. That was not from gerrymandering. That was from a particularly strong backlash to the Obama presidency. And it's, it's very, very, very common for the president's party to lose seats in the midterm, but that was yeah. a particularly good year uh, for the out party. Once they had a good year in 2010, the census year, they tried to take advantage of that and redrew a lot of lines uh, intending to favor themselves for 2012 and beyond. Uh, Sam Wang at the Princeton um, Election Consortium had an op-ed in 2013 calling it the great gerrymander of 2012. Uh, and in 2012, Republicans kept the House even though they had fewer popular votes in the House elections. So this drove yeah. Democrats up the wall, understandably. Uh, but that proved to be a bit of a fluke year because it wasn't replicated in, in, in the subsequent elections. Um, in 2014, 2016, Republicans got a disproportionate share of House seats, but still had the most votes. But then in 2018 and 2020, Democrats not only took the House in both those races, but the vote share and the seat share were practically identical. And these are basically the same maps. There were a few places yeah. where Democrats had court cases and undid some of those gerrymanders to, to their benefit. Uh, and by 2020, that that picked up six seats for them. You can't explain the 2018 victory where Democrats netted, you know, 40 plus based on those court cases. They won 2018 because the public was mad at Donald Trump and they had yes. their own way 
wave akin to what Republicans had in 2010 on basically the same maps that Republicans drew. <laughs> So it just shows that those lines don't hold. I mean, there's, there's demographic changes. Old people die. Young people turn 18. People move around. And the politics change. So gerrymandering is not a foolproof firewall that can that can entrench a party in power over the long haul. And even more to that point, we currently are in the greatest demographic shift in my lifetime in terms of politics. We are seeing a gigantic uh, storm of where people are, are going to land. Nobody knows We're we're watching demographics that have been solid blue for decades start to become redder. We're seeing solid suburbs that were rock red now become bluer. I, I don't think that anybody in any state house, no matter how much they want to twirl their mustache with the most evil intentions against your party, has a crystal ball that knows how this is going to go. Well, that's a huge, huge problem for the gerrymanderers. Um, you're, if you're basing your your lines on the 2020 election, a Trump election, you don't know how those numbers are going to hold over the course of the decade. Um, you know, Trump kind of has warped our politics and we don't know for how sure for how long that's going to be the case. Your know, Democrats did better with college educated white suburbanites than they did 10 years ago. Republicans did marginally better with uh, in certain Latino communities and Asian communities. Uh, are those trends going to continue? over the course of the 10 years? Or is that a fluke because of the Trumpian culture that was being waged in 2020? Our gerrymanders don't know the answers to those questions. They're making educated guesses and they don't know if those guesses are gonna pay off. And because of that uncertainty, that is a disincentive to try to do the extreme gerrymanderer. The Republicans, I mean, Republicans control more state houses and have more ability to draw lines. And it's not just in the states where the census shifted the seats around you in a state yeah. with no change and you still get to redraw the lines. Um, they may say, you know what? I just don't know where this is going over the next 10 years. Let's just shore up what we have. Let's protect the incumbents that we do have. Let's pad their districts a little bit. And that's not going to necessarily, you know, knock more Democrats out of the box, it's just going to make our guys be a little bit more comfortable. And they're the ones that are whispering in her ear the most, hey, can you fix my district? Can you make me a little more safer so I don't have to work so hard in 2022? That may be a reason why you don't get the extreme gerrymanders this time around. Let's actually explain that a little bit. And and this is kind of us trying to do pictures on the radio, but, but just for, for people to understand, when you're saying extreme gerrymandering, we're talking about those crazy maps that you, you know, if you Google gerrymandering, you're going to see where they look like the like Lacoste crocodile or something like that. They, they have these bizarre sort of shapes that are deliberately drawn to try to maximize where one party's constituents live. Right. Right. And you, if, if you if the technology is better than it was, you can identify where voters live and their political tendencies a lot easier with 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 computer technology than you could 100 years ago. Uh, and so you can draw very granular maps with these, you know, twisty snakes and try to pick off all the Republicans in a barely continuous line. Uh, 
to try to maximize your vote share. And that works so long as, again, those lines hold and those people stay alive, don't move, continue to, yeah. to vote consistently one way. Uh, and that's what they don't don't know. So if you, if you draw a district like that and those things aren't as stable as you suspected, uh, then your your evil scheme didn't work out as planned. So you might do more instead do more modest changes and add a handful of Republicans to a already existing Republican district to make that incumbent's job of keeping his or her seat a little bit easier. Yeah. So so this would be instead of trying to draw some very aggressive district to to create a Republican seat in a place where it might not otherwise exist by squeezing everything you possibly could out of it. This would be taking a Republican district, for example, uh, and just saying like, all right, well, maybe we're going to stretch it out into a little bit more of this exurban rural area that we know mm is unlikely to turn blue over the next 10 years. Now, understand this, too. The Supreme Court has said you cannot racially gerrymander. You, you, it violates the Constitution to use race in drawing these districts. So there, there okay. have been there have districts, districts that have been struck down by the U.S. Supreme Court on those grounds. However, they have said you can partisan gerrymander that's okay you know politics is fair game under our constitution so if you're trying to just do republicans and democrats for your districts hey fair you know fair is fair in, in love and war and gerrymandering uh however the state constitutions are not consistent on this score i mean that's why yeah. so democrats have won certain cases on the federal level and certain cases on the state level uh so republicans might stretch in certain areas but there might be litigation opportunities for democrats that that could drag out the final determination where the lines are. And so if, if somebody's in litigation, you might get a court saying for 2022, this isn't resolved yet. Keep the old lines for this election. We'll figure it out for the next election. Uh, on top of that, this is a separate point, Trump was slow in finishing the census. So we're late in the game of when we usually get these numbers and that's going to delay what the states can do. And so that may make it even harder. I mean, right now people are making decisions to run or not, not knowing where the lines are, yeah. uh, which is very confusing for your average you know, candidate and, can and campaign team. So we don't know if the gerrymandering process is really going to be completed in 2022 because of all this uncertainty. And that's that's the crazy thing. I mean, we just had a interview last week about a district in Ohio that we don't know if it'll exist because they got to They got to They got to They got to take away one district and we don't know right. exactly what uh, where, where it's even going to be. One more level of complication to this. The pandemic led to a lot of movement, a lot of people uh, uh, relocating, but also not knowing exactly how permanent that relocation is going to be. I, I don't know for sure how many people that left where I used to live in the Bay area aren't going to be back there in two years or may never be there uh, uh, again uh, uh, to, to the point of not maybe worrying that the gerrymandering is this exact science. that's going to tilt the map for sure. One way or another, I, I feel like that can't be overstated. Although in California, 
So, so you lose a seat in California. First time California yeah. has lost a seat. You have an independent commission there. That's a, it's a, true, a true independent commission. Uh, so we don't know exactly how it's going to come down. But a lot of folks are assuming because Democrats are so dominant in California. It, 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 it is know, a one party state in California. It's one, it's one party state. But that also means that it's, it's that one party more likely to lose that seat because you have so many seats. Yes. Uh, so Democrats probably lose a seat in California because gerrymandering, partisan gerrymandering is not in play there and Democrats are too fat a target. Yeah, well, I mean, is it in uh, West Virginia that they got three districts? They're all Republicans, so we're probably going to get a a incumbent on incumbent primary uh, uh, when they have to reapportion. And, and whatever, whether some incumbent steps down or not, I mean, it's that's one that you know, you know, West Virginia has denied Republicans a seat. There is a negative one on the Republican ledger from West Virginia, no matter what yes. where that line is drawn. Uh, and, and that's why you know, the, the the general shift from Northeast to Sun Belt generally favors Republicans, but not completely because West Virginia loses a seat. Ohio loses a seat. I'm not I'm talking less about House here than I'm talking about Electoral College. Yeah. Uh, uh, and yes, Florida gains and Texas gains and Montana gains, but Oregon and Colorado gains. So that's good for Democrats on the Electoral College front. And Texas and Florida are those states going to stay red? Is this population shift from Northeast to South helping Democrats over the long haul? Because these are bluish voters that are making the move. That are leaving. Yeah, I mean, I think I did the numbers on that and it was like, if you ran 2020 on this electoral college uh, math, that it's, it is closer. It would benefit Trump by like, I think like, Four or five. Uh, I, uh, I, electoral, the, electoral college. I think it's three. I think. I think Trump wants to have three. Yeah. three. But, uh, but okay. are those three going to remain Trumpy as we sure. go for elections? But I guess that's that's the thing. Is like uh, we are at a very 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 strange moment in time because it's like did did the people that you know like from the Bay Area, the people that I knew that were leaving the Bay Area and going to Miami, were these like almost like like anarcho-libertarian types that were into like crypto and stuff. <laughs> and and I don't know. I mean, besides them really liking legal weed, like I, I don't really know if there's any bedrock uh, uh, democratic or liberal values for which that they would take to the ballot box unless they just personally had a problem with Trump, which who knows if the crypto millionaires are necessarily <laughs> hardcore never Trumpers. Uh, uh, similarly so for, uh, you know, people like me and my wife that moved to Texas, uh, certainly we're probably going to be more uh, liberal than somebody in Waco or Lubbock, but I don't know if we're net more liberal than people that live in Austin in general. It seems like the same lineup of, you know, uh, uh, chakra crystals and CBD stores as I saw before. <laughs> well, we're, we're speaking anecdotally here, but I, I've, I've had some conversation with Arizona Republicans and they're beside themselves because they feel all these California migrants have moved into their state yeah. and made it their state more liberal. That not, not only hurting Republicans in terms of the presidential election, but also trying to raise their taxes at the local level in their yeah. city council elections and the referendums and whatnot. And I mean, and there's some, you know, 
uh, evidence to back that up. You know, Colorado used to be used to be a dead center swing state, and that was clearly strong blue. Left uh, and Arizona used to be rock red, rock rib red, and now it's definitely purple. Uh, so it does seem like some of these wealthier California folks who can have means, but yeah. they are culturally liberal. And they're and they seem to be more open to tax increases than the Western Republican libertarian types used to be dominant in those states. But then again, we've also seen Ohio and Florida, which used to be the swing states, the capital S swing states, at least under Trump, become more solidly Republican than they have at any time in, in, in my lifetime. I and mean, we, we saw the first ever uh, anti so goes Ohio, so goes the nation election like that had never happened uh, as right. long as I'd been alive. And I think both are interesting states because uh, you know, certainly based on the Obama Trump years, you would say these are states that have gotten decidedly more red. Uh, and, and maybe it stays that way. Uh, yeah. But uh, Ohio Republicans have been, those who actually are in Ohio offices, you know, governor, Senate, yeah. uh, they've been of a relative moderate variety. You know, John Kasich, Mike DeWine, Rob Portman. We haven't seen a Trumpy Republican win statewide in those offices yet. You know, some people argue, well, DeWine, Kasich, Portman, these are lagging indicators. And now they're, as they, you know, Kasich's not around anymore. Portman's retiring. I think DeWine's getting primaried. Uh, Maybe that changes. Maybe this is a state that is going to keep moving in a Trumpy direction. Uh, but I think it's also possible that that, that suburban Ohio one is going to, you know, uh, show its strength and maybe tilt a Democrat, you know, in the subsequent elections. That I think is a bit of an unknown. Uh, and then in Florida, clearly strengthened by uh, Latino voters who are culturally not in sync with the Democrats. Uh and thought that Biden was going to be too socialistic and Trump increased his vote there. They took out two Democratic House members in South Florida in 2020. Is that a trend or is that a fluke? Can Democrats go back into South Florida and say, hey, we're not child molesters. Don't listen to Q. Uh, We're not all this is not an AOC party. Biden's been a moderate president the past four years. Uh, I know you were worried, but you can can come back home now. Uh, Or has Trump planted his flag in Florida? He's a Florida man and not a New York man anymore. And that state just gets redder and redder over time. I just think it's an unknown. Those are just two unsettled states that we can't necessarily predict uh, will stay red or come back to being purple. I mean, to your point about governors, uh, throughout my my childhood and watching Florida politics, uh, the governor of Florida was largely this kind of like bloodless, charis- charisma-free sort of bureaucrat. Like they were usually Republicans uh, past, you know, when I was very young, but like in general, the Charlie Crist, Jeb Bush, uh, uh, Rick Scott mold, uh, while certainly like in the pocket for certain lobbies like sugar and stuff like that, were not necessarily big, loud cultural warriors until DeSantis. DeSantis sort of uh, breaks that mold. So if Florida is four or five years ahead of, of, of Ohio in terms of their trends, then Maybe that is maybe 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 we are right at the cusp of the Ohio DeSantis. But to your point, I also don't know. Who knows? Well, well, Florida has its own peculiarities. I mean, the Republicans there 
don't run blistering anti-immigrant campaigns because there's no. just too many there's just too many immigrants in Florida for that to make any sense. Well, uh, also and, and- also Florida for for uh, you know until very recently uh uh just you know we we had we had the easiest immigration policy of all for the most uh, uh potent voting demographic the Cubans where it, right. was, it was you know what foot dry foot. Exactly. Uh and it's also a pretty environmentally sensitive state. You don't see Republicans tr- wanting to trash Florida coastlines. Uh, they don't. They don't embrace you know oil drilling as readily as Republicans in other places. And if if DeSantis I actually wrote about DeSantis before the pandemic, and he was showing flashes of pragmatism before the pandemic, and I still think they're in there somewhere, but because he's he I think he's a politician who knows how to win in his state. Uh, yeah. So. It, Florida Republicans have been a weird breed. Uh, they've been a canny breed because they're winning. So you can't you can't yeah. knock them for being for being uh, crafty and, and calculating. Uh, and they and they and there is enough you know Florida panhandle, enough of that southern white contingent in Florida for some of these culture war cards to be played well in, on their behalf. You know uh, when. Uh, DeSantis's opponent, I mean, I can't believe his name's escaped me already. Uh, Gillum, Andrew Gillum, you yes. know, when they ran, when they had their governor race in 2018, and Gillum said, you know, I don't necessarily think DeSantis is a racist, but the racists think he's a racist. You know, Democrats across the country thought that was the most brilliant comeback line in the debate, but clearly did not land, that punch did not land amongst Florida voters because DeSantis well outpaced where he was. Uh, in the polls. So culture war can still help Republicans in Florida and Democrats have to be very careful because just because it's a very racially diverse state doesn't mean that culture war cards uh, work in their um, in their favor. Yeah, well, I mean, I, all I will say to the Florida Democrats is that if if if, if Charlie Crist is their answer, then that, that's going to be an early night in uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the midterms. Like, I think it, it, it'll be curious to see if Val Demings runs. But but, you know, she came out with a comment that was like, oh, yeah, you know, um, either the Rubio Senate seat or the governor's mansion is is something that I'm considering, which kind of, you know, uh, uh, brings me back to the old, you know, football adage that if, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Like if, if you're thinking about running for both of those seats, then maybe you just kind of want to raise money so you can run for your house seat again. Hey, maybe. I mean, you know, both races are not easy races. You know, Demings is risking a, a pretty safe house seat. Uh, and may, maybe she's worried about redistricting. Maybe they're worried they're going to go after her for that seat. I don't know. Um, but, you know, Rubio and DeSantis are both tough customers to beat in Florida. Uh, so you're, I, think, you're, I think they're that, both. That's, yeah, that's, 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 that's the, I, I would think that they're they're prohibitive favorites. Like both, yeah. the, 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 so the that, that's a go big or go home move to say I'm going to take one of those on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have kind of seen one uh, element of of uh, the the reapportionment, and to go back to Ohio real quick, and that is uh, Tim Ryan, whose whose seat may or may not be gone based on his uh, based on, on on Ohio losing that seat. Now he's running for Senate, so I guess that is one thing to keep an eye on is to see whether or not this shakes loose talent to move on to to run for other offices, and and that at least for. For, for for the nerds that listen to this show, like th- that's that that is the the, the 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 most exciting political stuff we could chase down. Well, I mean, for for Ryan, I mean, he may be worried about the, where the lines get drawn, but clearly, he 
I think he's probably also worried that the House won't stay Democratic, doesn't want to be in the minority, uh, and surely must know it's an uphill battle to run for Senate as a Democrat in Ohio, even though Sherrod Brown has hung on for as long as he has. But that's, again, it's another sort of go bear, go home situation. You've decided that what you, what you have in hand is not worth holding on to, and so you're going to try to you know go for the brass ring. And I think a number of House Democrats seem to be thinking along those lines. And that and I, I don't I don't want Democrats to think the House can't be saved. I think it can. But clearly, a lot of House Democrats are not looking at their own seats as so precious that they, yeah. they, they want to stay and help Democrats, you know, uh, you know, batten down the hatches. All right. Before I get you out of here, I, I'm curious your thoughts on uh, uh, Biden's big uh, goals over the next year. The the fact that uh, apparently Chuck Schumer believes that and has been informed by the parliamentarian that they're going to get uh, at least one more, if not two more bites at the uh, uh, apple in terms of not needing Republican help. And yet. Based on what I'm seeing from from out here, it, it looks like all of the big Biden, the multi-trillion dollar uh, Biden stuff, if it's not tied to COVID, doesn't seem to have a ton of momentum. Do you have any sense uh, uh, to the contrary? Well, it's not without momentum, but I agree with you that it's, it's this is not the American Rescue Plan. This is not a slam dunk. We're going to get $2 trillion passed in a matter of weeks. We know it, um, you know, get on the train. Uh, this is going on a slower path. There's more resistance within the Republican Party and, and the Democratic Party. And that's why that, that reconciliation threat doesn't have the same punch that it did with the relief plan. Biden could talk to Susan Collins. Here's Susan Collins say, I got $600 billion for you if, you if you work with Republicans. And a Biden say, that's a whole le- less than the $1.9 trade I can get without you. Uh, see you around. See <laughs> that, that, that's an easy choice for, yeah. for Biden to make. Right now, Biden can't say that. He can't say with confidence, I can get my $2.3 trillion without you. He does not know that. He does not know what exactly can get through reconciliation, uh, what the parliamentarian will allow. And he does not know what he has 50 Democrat senators uh, committed to giving him because Joe Manchin has raised red flags, as have others. Uh, That forces Biden to entertain more seriously what Republicans have to offer, uh, especially because Joe Manchin is saying you have to. He's saying, I'm not going to let you go into reconciliation until you have tried regular order. And we don't know how, how much Manchin means that. I mean, he, he means it to some extent, but does it mean that bill has to go to committee, be marked up, clear committee, go to the, go to the floor, have amendments on the floor? Uh, you know, at what point does Joe Manchin say, OK, we really tried here and it's not working out. I'll let you do reconciliation. It's just an unknown. Uh, so that's why you, if you listen to Biden's uh, joint uh, address to the joint session of Congress closely. The average hot take was Biden went big. And that's only half the story because Biden did not say in that speech, you have to do 2.3 trillion. Biden did not say work with the Republicans or I'm going to abolish the filibuster or do talking filibuster, use reconciliation. He said, what a nice counteroffer you had the Republicans. I can't wait to discuss that with you because uh, he knows he has to. Uh, and yeah. so that, so I think there's a great amount of uncertainty. If there can be common ground found with Republicans, how much that common ground would amount to, and 
if Biden can get 10 Republicans through that, how much can he hold on to his own party? What might he, might he lose the AOCs and the Bernie Sanders if he compromises too much? Uh, and or if he can't get 10 Republicans, can he hold on to the Joe Manchins and the Angus Kings and the Kirsten Cinemas and, and the like? So I think we're going to a period of actual negotiation, but which I, we I did guess- not really see before. The only thing is, Bill, that I, I kind of feel like there is an element of, of of binary thinking here when the numbers are what they are. When when we're talking about two point nine trillion or or in the trillions, and and whatever the Republican counteroffer, they have never seemed like they want to. They may want to tickle the 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 beginnings of of of, of the T word, but that they are always in the multi hundreds of billions, like. If, if if you want to build a Death Star and I offer to build you, build you a McDonald's, even if you just wind up building Disney World, it's going to feel not what it could be like. And, and, and that's that that's where I think when when Biden puts his 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 sights so far out there. I, I feel like uh, we're, we're, we're going to get into a a everybody's angry zone very quickly. I mean, that's a risk. You know, there's a there's a line of thought on the Democratic side that you should always go big, always ask for as as much as possible. So even if you n- negotiate down, you're left with more than what you might have gotten if you started small. And it, that's not without its logic. But there is a downside risk to that strategy, which is you set expectations very, very high. Democrats are now I mean, if you told someone in December that, Repub- yeah. that 10 Republicans were going to give Joe Biden a bill of $750 billion of physical infrastructure, you would go, I don't believe it. You would never get that from Republicans. That's crazy. Talk. Sure. Yeah. Uh, whereas now if it happened, it's going to be treated like Chump change because it's a quarter yes. of what Biden was asking for. Uh, now that might, now, so if you, but if Biden is left with the choice of, you know, forced by the Joe Manchins of the world saying, look, Republicans have a real offer here. We've bumped them up from 560. We've come up to 750. Sure, it's physical infrastructure only. It's not long-term care. It's not paid family leave. It's not even school construction, but it's still a good chunk of stuff. You should take it. And if you don't take it, you don't have my vote for reconciliation. Now it's not a choice between 2.3 trillion and 750 billion. It's a choice between 750 billion and zero. Uh, and if Biden's left with that choice, I think he's going to take the 750 billion and he's going to have to lean on the other Democrats on the left saying, look, it's this or zero. And we don't have an argument to go back to the public with and say, hey, I, I, I got you nothing, but I really fought hard for 2 trillion. That's a hard argument to make to the, to the average median voter. I I agree with you, but I also think that there's a lot of voices that get very loud on the left that are going to say, so we had all three houses and all I got was this lousy T-shirt and $750 billion for roads. <laughs> no, no doubt. No doubt. And look, this is why midterms are so treacherous for the president's party, because yeah. governing reality always intercedes. Uh, it's never as perfect as you want it to be. And so either you are getting, you know, close to bupkis uh, or yep. you are getting, you know, watered down compromises uh, and that deflates your own party's base. And it jacks up the opposition party's base. Uh, and I mean, literally almost every single time the president's party loses seats in a midterm is only three cases since reconstruction where the president's party 
gain seats. Uh, and so it's, it's a real concern. Uh, I do think Biden is the type of cat who is going to take the bird in hand uh, if it's the best he can get and do his darndest to get the rest of his party on board. I, I agree with you. He is a creature of the Senate. He wants a bill with his name on it uh, uh, to get passed. That is that is that is what his instinct is. Uh, bill Share, Washington Monthly. Always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, uh, do you have anything uh, uh, cool coming up that people should uh, keep their eyes out for? Uh, I am working on a piece. Speaking of midterms, uh, I am working on a piece about you know how rare it is for the president's party to gain seats, but what can we learn from those cases when it did actually happen, how this actually might be one of those times where the rare thing does occur and the president's party gains seats. Perfect. Well, we will uh, uh, make sure to read that. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Take care. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. This show was edited by Brett Stewart. Thanks, Brett. If you want to go say thank you to Bill Share, you can easily, from your phone, go to px3guest.com. That is letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. That'll bring you right to his Twitter Again, reputation matters in this world. You guys letting Bill know that you liked him on the show, it really is. It's not just good karma. It's just, it's 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 good vibes all around. Hey, one last thing out the door here. Uh, Elise Stefanik looks to be the replacement for Liz Cheney for uh, her leadership position. This comes after GOP leaders and Donald Trump praised uh, the New York representative who ironically voted with Trump less than Liz Cheney did. (laughs) Isn't that something funny? If you want to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets. Our Twitch is px3live.com. And we are live there Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. You can get my newsletter which uh, last week discussed, you can go read it right now, how I learned to stop worrying and love our COVID culture war divide. Indeed, if the liberals and the COVID scolds are battling for our body, our health, our physical well-being, then it is the conservatives, the Republicans that are battling for our soul. The idea that when freedoms are given away, they are not returned without a fight. And thus, I am fine with both sides doing battle. And I welcome them to the table when they are exhausted and realize that indeed they were not fighting each other, but rather two fronts of a very dangerous war. You can read that and so much more as it comes out at px3newsletter.com. It is free. If you want to share this podcast, it is px3podcast.com. Our merch is at politicsmerch.com. We just talked about all powers, future power. You can get that on a t-shirt. If you like this podcast, you can get the podcast logo on a t-shirt or the hottest shirt of the summer. COVID shots equals body shots. That is available there as well. If you want to support me with a one-time donation, you can do so. PayPal.me slash payjury. You can head on over to my cash app, 
That is PX3 Cash. Or you can be one of them Venmo Buccaneers. A reminder that Venmo money is not real. And you can unburden yourself of it at uh, Justin-Young-20, just like Ian did. And just like another Justin did. Indeed, the other Justin said, gotta get, he sent me $1.75, said, gotta get rid of that 75 cents. It's been bugging me. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to take on your burdens. Also, you can send uh, physical checks or anything else that you'd like to me in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Now, if you want our bonus content, and again, two episodes a week like clockwork, one on Monday, one on Thursday. I don't think I've missed any of those in ever. I don't think I've ever missed one of those episodes at all. Even when I've, I've, uh, uh, the, 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 the main show has either been in reruns or guest stuff. I have always made sure that those, uh, bonus extra episodes Go out to you guys. There's only one way to get that, and that's go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. The $3 tier gets you two bonus episodes per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. Yesterday's was about, among other things, the hilarious decision by the Facebook Oversight Board to tell Facebook, you make a decision about banning Donald Trump. But of course, if you want your name right at the end of the show, you got to be part of the Titanic $10 tier. Smart, beautiful, amazing, eclectic, nimble folks like Headphones, Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the Government Unfiltered Podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley, Stephen, Kathy, Mag, Zombie, Doc, D, really? Methuselah, Honeythuckle. The Gen, Middle-Aged Mike, Cujo, Dotcom Junkie, Calamity Zap, D-Laser, Lord Scale, De Quinza, and Neil III. And Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Utah, Jimmy Montana, Appraisers Are Awesome, Snuffies, Off Route 44. Miranda Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Charles, Archie, David, Olin, and Angela, D.L., just another pilot, Frozen Summers, Jay Pink, and Andrew. Again, you want to join their ranks, you go to takepoliticsseriously.com. And folks, that'll wrap us up for the week. Happy Mother's Day out there. I know we got a lot of people listening, including my mom who will be in town next week. So you might get yourself a little Gloria Young live in studio sound. Oh no. It's my, it's an impression of my mom. Very excited. So shout out to all uh, uh, the moms, the new moms, the, the, the moms that have uh, raised hellions like me well into my uh, late thirties. 
it is uh, uh, an, an honor to speak to you. And, and if you are listening to this, call your mom. Call your mom. All right. Till next time, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.